Hey everyone, welcome to Women's Hoops and Talks, where we are elevating the voice of women who love basketball. I'm Tara, and I'm joined on the line by Kendall. Kendall, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, how are you? I'm doing pretty good, uh, and while I'm thinking about it, let me remind everybody that Women's Hoops and Talks is part of the Almighty Baller Radio Network, and if people like our podcast, they can go to Blazer's Edge on iTunes or Stitcher and subscribe to Blazer's Edge. All the Women's Hoops and talk, Talks, the What Pod episodes will all show up in that feed, or if you just want to get the What Pod episodes, you can follow us on Twitter, and every time we post an episode, we will put it out that way so people can tune into our our episodes or go back and find all of our old episodes uh the twitter address is if i can remember it at hoops and talks so find us on twitter find us on uh, blazer's edge on stitcher or itunes and yeah subscribe and let us know what you think yeah so we're gonna jump right into our conversation today and for those people who like to say that the nba season doesn't really start until after christmas we're gonna kind of do a little recap of everything that's happened in the season so far for maybe those people who have missed that or just people who kind of want to recap everything that's going on kendall could you imagine like waiting until christmas to watch the nba no, I, I'm that person who I watch Summer League, which I have friends that make fun of me for watching Summer League. And I watch preseason and I, I follow everything. So, yeah, I will never make fun of you for watching Summer League because I go to Summer League. So <laughs> okay. you got to come. It's so much fun. But yeah, I'm like you. I'm like training camp. Like I'm like media day. I like have all my gear on at work. I like wear I dressed head to toe <laughs> in my blazer gear for media day. That's how excited yeah. I am. Well, we're going to start with day one, which was one of the big marquee matchups that everyone was looking forward to, which was the Cavs versus the Celtics. Obviously, because of the Kyrie Irving trade, people were excited to see him and LeBron play against each other. Um, And that first, that opening game did not end the way that everyone thought it was going to end. Well, Gordon Hayward, who obviously was a free agent over the summer and got or signed with Boston, he got injured within the first, was it four minutes into the game? Yeah, Something? it was like yeah. less than five minutes into the game. Yeah, he got that awful injury that is has ended his season. So that was kind of the first thing. Plus that, that game itself was also just after that happened, that was still a very exciting game. Yeah, it it really was. And it's one of those things where you know, it's what makes sport interesting, I think, and what what's what makes it exciting because, you know, the marquee player went down and the team had to adjust. Like, you know, what happens? Like, our, our whole training camp has been, you know, based on incorporating all these new players, including Gordon Hayward, mm-hmm. and then suddenly he's gone. Just like, you know, so much going on just in that one game on the very, very first day. Yeah, but I mean, they the boss that Boston team really made up for it. I mean, I think Tyree, I have my numbers here. Tyree had 22 points and 10 assists, so he definitely stepped up a lot. Um, Jason Tatum, who he was a rookie coming in, he got a double-double. I mean, he had 14 points and 10 rebounds. And then Jalen Brown, who's only in his uh, sophomore season, he had 25 points. So everyone else on that team really stepped up and – um, even with that injury, they didn't win the game, but it was a very close and competitive game. They only lost by three points. One of the, I think, interesting things about the beginning of the season is like, you know, all the teams are still like 
they're adjusting their themselves, but they're also uh, feeling each other out. And, you know, people don't have the, um, what do you call the scouting reports on each other? So people don't like Ooh. really know what to expect. And so I think some teams come out the gate going really hard and really well. And some teams like don't come out the gate and Cleveland Cavaliers are one of those teams that like, they started off rough. They had, um, they they were they started off like five and seven mm-hmm. this season. I think people weren't expecting that. I think Golden State came out pretty slow. And mm-hmm. after, I think, didn't Boston lost a couple at the beginning, but then after that they went on this huge run. Yeah, I think they lost their first two or three. Yeah, and then they ended up with the biggest winning streak so far of the season. Yeah. But yeah, so starting with the first day, we had the injury to Gordon Hayward um, and this close game right down to the wire between the Celtics and the Cavs. Um, But that wasn't the uh, only injury that happened at the beginning. So if you only just started, if you only started watching at Christmas, you never got to see Gordon Hayward in a Celtics uniform. You never would have gotten to see Patrick Beverly in his new Clippers uniform. Mm Mm-hmm. Jeremy Lin was injured his first game. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just like after all the intensity of the summer and all this waiting and all this buildup to have so many like key injuries happen right at the beginning, it was kind of shocking. Yeah. And then, I mean, you also have people, some of these people were injured either in the beginning of the season or during the summer and ha- didn't even make their debut. But there's people like Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, um, Gobert was injured. He's still mm-hmm. out. Um, and then you have people like, yeah, Millsap. And then you have people like Kawhi Leonard and Isaiah Thomas, who they were in, they were injured going into the season. And Kawhi has made his debut, but he's kind of in and out. They keep resting him. Um, he's not 100%. And then Isaiah's not making his debut until Tuesday so or tomorrow. He's making his debut finally. So a lot of people who are getting injured that are bid players. But I a lot of people have been saying there's more injuries this year. I don't think there's actually more injuries than usual. I think it's just it's happening to higher caliber players, so you, people notice it more. But the amount of injuries is really not any different than past years. Yeah, I think I think you're right. And it's not even just like the high, the high caliber pl- players. It's the high caliber players that were on our mind this mm-hmm. summer. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not even just the big people. It was the guys who like we've already been thinking about and we've been wondering like, what's it going to be like when you well, Chris Paul, he was somebody who missed a bunch of time too. you know, yeah. um, we were all anxious to see what Chris Paul was going to look like next to James Harden. And we were wanting to see what the heck was going to happen down uh, in LA with the Clippers and you know, uh, mm-hmm. we haven't seen any of that with, well, we saw a little bit like 11 games for Patrick Beverly and we've seen a few games for, uh, for Chris Paul, but, but yeah, so, but some people, if they hadn't watched, would not even have seen any of uh, these players who are out for the whole entire season. Yeah. So there were some, uh, uh Twitter played as, as like a new character in the whole NBA <laughs> world now, <laughs> you know, it used to be the players and the games. And now like, um, there's this whole other entertainment channel of Twitter, but, uh, it, so far this, uh, early in the season, it has not disappointed. There was the whole Eric Bledsoe, I don't want to be here tweet, which happened. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was definitely something that sticks out in my mind mm-hmm. <laughs> as, uh, in the early going, what did you think of all of all that? Well, I mean, it made sense. They had the Suns had a few; those first three games were really rough. I mean, 
in their first three games of the season, they lost by a combined of 92 points, which is brutal. (laughs) Yeah. Which is hard. And after that, I mean, their coach got fired immediately after that. And there was a lot of problems that that uh, franchise was having. And it makes sense that he would want to leave. I think that obviously tweeting about it is not the way to handle it, but I don't blame him for wanting to get out of that situation. Um, Right. But I think that honestly that trade, that he was part of was like it was a very good trade I mean it helped I mean the Suns I don't think necessarily not having him has helped the Suns but um the for Milwaukee which is where he got traded to like they definitely I mean before he joined the team they were only at a 40 percent winning percentage and then after he joined they bumped up to 60 percent um so yeah he's really helped them and he got what he wanted which was to play yeah, exactly. And like that's what Milwaukee needed is they need obviously they have Giannis, so they have a very strong person in their team, but they really needed a point guard. And he definitely fits in that situation. Yeah, so for people who may have missed the whole story about the Eric Bledsoe tweet, uh, he actually had a a series of uh, cryptic tweets leading up um, to the day that the famous I don't want to be here came out. But so there was like Uh, He was listed as questionable and then he tweeted out, ha. So it's like, does that mean like he's actually healthy and they're trying to sit him again and he doesn't want to be a part of that again? Or is it, uh, is he laughing because, you know, what is going on? (laughs) So like people were, were already kind of paying attention to what he was tweeting. So the day that he tweeted out, I don't want to be here. Like people were all over that because he'd already sort of set the bar like something weird is going on. And then he immediately tried to say that he was actually at the the barber, the barber, (laughs) the hairdresser. And that was what he meant by he didn't want to be there. Um, But it did force the issue and it made the front office uh, call him in and say, "Okay, look, we're going to get you traded. And, you know, you know, I don't know that how you know how often Twitter has featured in uh someone's trade request before it's definitely a new world and we saw it we saw it playing out this year uh you mentioned though that the uh the sun's coach got fired three mm-hmm. games in so mm-hmm. yeah had a couple of coaches let go uh mm-hmm. earl watson like you said after three games with the phoenix suns and then dave fisdale now were you surprised about the dave fisdale firing I was shocked. Yeah, I mean, I was pretty surprised. I honestly can say I don't know a ton about that franchise. Um, I couldn't tell you a whole lot about him as a coach, but I, from what I knew, it that was surprising to me. I did not feel like the issues that that team was having was because of him. But again, I, I didn't have a super strong opinion on it just because I'm not as familiar with that franchise. But it still was pretty shocking to me. And especially after seeing the way so many players around the league reacted, it definitely made me question it more because so many people were so shocked by it. That it's like, obviously, there was something going on there that people didn't know about or that was just a crazy firing because people were so shocked by it. Yeah, I think I, I think both of those firings are, are remarkable in a couple of ways. One, because they happen so quickly, especially the Earl Watson one. I don't know how often, if anyone has ever been fired three games in. Like, why didn't mm-hmm. they just replace him in the summertime? Why did they Why did they uh, let him coach three games if, if mm-hmm. it wasn't going to work out? But the other thing about the David Fizzle one that really surprised me is last year, 
there was the game where his team had very few foul calls in their favor. A whole bunch were made. I believe it was against San Antonio. And he gave this whole great take that for data speech uh, and became like a folk hero in his town uh, for Uh speaking up for his players. And they, I thought that they really appreciated that and including, mm-hmm. you know, their star Marcus all the way he stood up and represented for, for the team. Mm-hmm. But then to find out that there was tension actually going on between David Fistel and Marcus all uh, that was surprising. And for the franchise to uh, so quickly, I mean, it was only what, like 20 games in or yeah, so pretty fast. Yeah, I thought I thought that was I thought that was uh, shocking. So yeah, if you just tuned in, you never got to watch Earl Watson uh, coach this year or David Fitzdale. Yeah, <laughs> um, another thing was the st- strong starts by so many teams um, in the East. I feel like overall the Eastern Conference came out very strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, people kind of looked at it. Obviously, the West is very stacked compared to the East. But people were expecting the East to just completely fall apart. And there were um, a couple teams specifically that came out and had really strong starts, which were the Orlando Magic and the Detroit Pistons. They both had very strong starts and were kind of shocked everyone. They didn't last very long, but they <laughs> they started very strong. Yeah, they did. But, you know, you know, we're now, what, 35 games in or whatever. What do you think about the old adage? You know, for the, for the last several years, it's been kind of a joke about, you know, how the East is just never going to be as good as the West. I feel like things are kind of changing a little bit. What do you think about that? Um, I, I think that in some regards it, it is. I think that people don't give players in the East enough credit, even though, yeah, as a whole, the West is a lot stronger, that there still, still are so many strong players in the East. Um, and I don't think that they always get the credit they deserve. But I think overall, I still think that the West is still just so stacked. It's really hard to compare the two. Um, I just, yeah, I mean, I think it's honestly just comes down to the East doesn't get enough credit, but they still should not. They're still not on the same level as the West. I feel like the bottom of the West is slipping, you know? And- oh, Yeah. I feel like the bottom of the East is getting stronger. I mean, Mm -hmm. even in the, you know, you know, you talked about teams that came out really strong out the gate. There were also teams who, you know, in the opposite came out, just like fell on their faces, (laughs) like the Chicago Bulls. But they're, you know, they've been playing great lately since uh, Meritich came back. They've been, they've really been on a tear. But, you know, like I said, they're. I think also the the top of the East seems to be getting stronger. I mean, there's always the Cavs and they're sort of like a special, I don't know how to categorize them because they're mm-hmm. such an interesting collection of pieces. It's yeah. just like whatever, whatever chess pieces LeBron wants to work with, like they're there, but you've got Boston, you've got, you know, it looks like Philadelphia truly is going to be on the rise. You've got Milwaukee with Giannis, mm-hmm. um, you know, I just I think that the the top of the East is is also getting stronger. Yeah, I like that you brought that up because actually one of the things I wanted to talk about was the Toronto Raptors too. Oh yeah, which um, I've said before on this podcast that Demar Derozan is my favorite player in the NBA. So <laughs> did I follow you see him tonight. Yeah, I did did career or not career high, but franchise franchise high too. Like yeah, he had a crazy game tonight. But um, 
yeah, so I follow the Raptors pretty closely, and they look like a completely different team this year. I mean, they've always been pretty strong. They've always kind of floated around that um, second or third seed in the East, but they're known for kind of falling on their faces in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. And I think after getting swept this year, that was kind of their final, that was the last straw for them. And they made a lot of changes in this offseason. Their personnel did not change, really. Um, but they just, they look like such a different team, primarily their offense. Because obviously with DeMar, he's not a three-point shooter. And he's coming out this year and is shooting the three. Still not a ton, but he's doing it. And um, I think it was, what was it, in... Um, he's up 7% from last year. He's already made the same amount of threes this season so far than he did all of last season. So he's definitely, he's definitely changed his game a lot and just their offense overall. They are shooting the three more, which is spacing out their offense, and they're putting less focus on DeMar and Kyle Lowry, which is able to, it's kind of throwing other teams off because they're not used to playing against them like that. And it's working for them. I mean, they're set it in the, in the East right now. Yeah. I'm glad you brought them up. They're one of those teams that I always forget about mm-hmm. <laughs> and they do, they kind of fly under the radar, but you're right. They have absolutely been on a tear lately. And I don't know if you listen to the low post podcast, but mm-hmm. Dwayne Casey, Dwayne Casey was recently on there and he talked about the culture change. And it's so interesting because Usually when we talk about culture change with a team, we're talking about like all new personnel. That's kind of like, you know, code for we're blowing it up and starting all over again with new people. Mm -hmm. But the Raptors are approaching culture change basically with the same roster. And they're looking at it as like a change to uh, the way they play the game. And I think that's so fascinating to uh, see a team with basically the same personnel decide they're going to try something different and being successful with it. Yeah, I think that speaks a lot on their backcourt too, which is um, DeRozan and Lowry. I think that they, I mean, obviously they're both, they've both been in the lead for a while and to have their coaches and everything go to them and say, we're basically changing the way you play this game and have them be okay with it and be succeeding in it. I think that speaks a lot on them of what type of players they are and kind of what type of leaders they are on the team too, is that they were okay with making sacrifices of maybe their minutes went down, their, um, their usage went down just in general and they're okay with it and they're finding ways to succeed that way. And that just speaks a lot on, the type of players they are. Yeah, that's a, that's a good story. And I really hope that they can uh, continue, continue it because I think one of the things that fans in general is we, we, we get used to our, our team one way and we think that it's going to stay that way forever unless there's personnel change. And it's, I don't think it's common to see, you know, a coach just try something new with the same players. And it's just not something that we're used to. And I'm looking forward to, Help, have seeing how that works out over the whole course of the year. Mm-hmm, definitely. Uh, let's see what else uh, exciting happened at the beginning of the season. Well, you mentioned the play of some of the rookies. Yeah, we have a very strong rookie class this year, which is exciting. I think coming into the the first few weeks of the season, it was 
Ben Simmons is going to be rookie of the year. No questions about it. I mean, I even, I am guilty of saying that. And now it's like, there, there's a tight race now. There are definitely more people that like it could easily go to them and people are coming out that you would have never expected. Um, you have Kyle Kuzma who's on the Lakers. He, I mean, every, the big talk was around Lonzo ball and Lonzo ball is not the best rookie on that team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and Kyle Kuzma is, I mean, he was leading rookies for a while in scoring. He's not anymore. Uh, Mitchell Donovan is actually leading now. Donovan um, Mitchell. Or Donovan Mitchell, not Mitchell Donovan. Um, yeah, Donovan Mitchell. Um, uh, he's leading scores now with, he's like, like 18 points per game or something. So um, he's another name that people did not expect, and he came out and is playing crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, leading up to the draft, I remember, you know, the second half of last season, people talking about what an incredibly deep draft class it was going to be. And I was kind of like, yeah, okay, whatever. You know, that means like the first, you know, the top the top ones are going to be really good and um, you know, better than usual, but I didn't really think it was going to go as deep as it seems to have gone. And yeah. we're not even I mean, Mark Helfolt isn't playing, the number 1 pick isn't playing. Lonzo mm-hmm. Ball, you mentioned. What what's your opinion on how Lonzo Ball is doing this year? Um, <laughs> well, we've talked about this, so you know, I'm not a not a Lonzo fan. Uh-huh. Um, but I mean, I think he's doing fine. I think, I think what really hurt him was that there was so much hype around him, and he didn't live up to the expectations. So people are being hard on him, and calling him a bust now. And I don't think he's a bust by any means. I mean, he's putting up good stats. Um, I just don't think I don't see him being this Hall of Famer one day. Mm-hmm. But he's, I mean. He's doing fine for his first season. Like he's definitely one of the stronger rookies. I would not put him in the conversation for rookie of the year at mm-hmm. all. Um, but he definitely, I think that he's. I think he's doing just fine. Yes, you you think him fine. You're not. You know, he's not. He hasn't yeah. fallen off a cliff. He hasn't gotten worse or anything. Yeah, yeah. But but he's doing fine. Well, he and LeBron led to my second favorite Twitter meme of the season so far, which was the. Um, there was a they caught the, he and Alonzo uh, and LeBron were caught on camera talking to each other, but they were doing this thing where they were holding their jerseys up above their mouths. So like, you know, mm-hmm. on the sidelines, how football players like cover up their mouths so you can't see what they're talking about. So mm-hmm. LeBron and Lonzo were doing that, which I just thought was just so brilliant that they would be doing I don't know why it just struck me. It was just so hilarious that they would be doing that. And then there was all kinds of speculation about what they were saying and all kinds of funny jokes about what they could have been talking about. And then it turned out somebody actually captured the audio, mm-hmm. which I think a is kind of creepy <laughs> and B was perfect. Cause it was basically just like, Hey, people are going to wonder what we're talking about. You just stay strong. Okay. <laughs> you know, it was, yeah. it was like LeBron planned the whole thing. It was, yeah. it was so brilliant, but it's nice to see, LeBron LeBron reaching out to the young guys and I personally think and I haven't seen a lot of people talk about this but I personally think LeBron is taking a very active interest in the young players coming into the league right now like Mm -hmm. I didn't really see Kobe doing that much like he wasn't adopting and embracing the young players as they came into the league they were just like more competition that he needed to destroy and yeah I I like the way LeBron 
embraces guys as they come into the league, um, you know, gives them props and, you know, tries to help them be successful in, in ways that he can. I have this crazy theory working that someday LeBron is going to be an owner. And so he's just mm-hmm. trying to get to know all these guys because he wants to either be a GM or an owner so that he can have his own, his own team. Um, and just yeah, seeing that. I mean, he's definitely fun. said, he has definitely said before that he wants to do that. So, and I don't see him having any issues <laughs> doing that um, and like getting that position. So well, and he's that's so definitely s- going to be. And he's so smart that it makes perfect sense that he's starting now while he's playing. Yeah, I've actually had friends bring up um, him being commissioner one day, Mm. which I think would be kind of interesting. I don't know if he would want to take that on necessarily, but... um, Well, I have dreams of him being president, so... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think he would be a great commissioner. I think he would... um, Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, there, that's you don't ever really see that in media or anything. I've never seen anything about that or even people just like joking about it. But mm-hmm. I've had a couple friends like say it as a joke. And I mean, it makes sense. I don't know if that's something he would ever want, but it would definitely make sense for him to do that. I think that's really interesting. Well, I, I think that he's going to be an owner because I think he wants to like have that you know, all the power and really Mm -hmm. as powerful as the players are. And as much as this is a player's league, the, uh, you know, the ultimate power lives in the owners. And so I Mm -hmm. think that's what he wants. And that's why, like, as everybody's discussing where LeBron is going to go next year, I haven't heard anybody talking about like him wanting to go to a team where he can learn how to be an owner or a general manager. Like that's why yeah. I think that's why I think the Lakers are might be a destination for him because he's got the whole history. I think he appreciates the history of the Bus family and everything that has uh, come before. You know, the just like the Lakers franchise, and I think mm-hmm. he appreciates that. And I think you know, even though Magic, you know, hasn't. I guess he's not the GM. He's like the special counsel or whatever he is. And Rob yeah. Palenka is the GM. But I think that he could he could learn a lot there. Or maybe he goes back to Miami. So, you know, he went there to learn how to win a championship. Maybe he'll go there and learn how to be an owner. Yeah, maybe. Or a GM. I don't know. I, I think it's interesting. Um, but that hasn't happened yet. And we're talking about things that already happened in the year. Yes. So. <laughs> uh, Getting off topic. <laughs> So, oh, so I pulled a bunch of statistics of just like random things. So if somebody didn't watch the, any, any of the NBA up until Christmas, they would have missed 232 minutes of LeBron James. They would have missed 1,009 points scored by James Harden. He scored 1,009 points in that period. 312 free throw attempts. DeAndre Jordan had 488 rebounds. Russell Westbrook had 326 assists. Russell Westbrook had 11 triple doubles before Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why we'd be surprised anymore, right? Yeah. Um, Boogie had 168 turnovers. Paul George had 80 steals. And Miles Turner had 64 blocks. Um, so, oh, top performers before Christmas. LeBron James had a game where he scored 57 points. He's in the fifteenth year of his career, is that right? And yeah, he, I mean that's fifty-seven points. Yeah, and that's what's so crazy is if you actually look at his stats this year, he's having 
potentially the best career of, or the best season of his career. If you just base it purely off of stats, which I know obviously is not everything, but if you're just looking at stats, he's up in, in every single category. He has a higher percentage than his career average, which for some people doesn't mean a lot if they had like a rough couple seasons to be getting. <laughs> but he came out his rookie year with crazy stats. So his career average is still better than like almost everyone in the league. So when you say that he's up in every, like percentage wise, he's up in every single category, like that's crazy. And then he's also up from last season in every category. Um, He's up his three point or his three point percentage is up. Um, His, like he's shooting 56% or he's shooting. Yeah. He's shooting 56% field goals, which is higher than the only other seasons that he's had a higher percentage is his last two seasons in Miami. Mm-hmm. So it's his third highest season, basically, in just field goal percentage. So he's having just a ridiculous year. Yeah, he. I, I love that we're actually hearing his name creep back into the MVP conversation. Yeah. I mean... I feel like he has been the MVP for years, but you like have yeah. to give it to other people. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I definitely, I think that if they were to um, decide right now, I think it should be him. I know a lot of people are saying James Harden, but I think what it comes down to is a, pe- a lot of people forget that MVP is most valuable player. So that's like most valuable to your team. And if you look at who has been the most valuable to their team, I would definitely say it's LeBron right now. Like LeBron, like he's carrying that team at the moment. And with Houston, like obviously, while Chris Paul hasn't been playing a ton, um, he definitely like they their winning percentage is way higher when he's playing. And in so many, there's so many other players on that team. Like they have a really really strong bench, and that's just stuff that like. Cleveland doesn't have that as much, and LeBron is really carrying that team. So if you just were comparing, like, who's playing the bigger role on their team, it's definitely LeBron. Yeah, he's he's fantastic, and I really like... I'm not super wild about all the collection of people that got added to the roster, but I like Dwayne Wade's attitude and how he's adjusted to the roster. And I think there couldn't be a more stark contrast between... Dwayne Wade coming off the bench and Carmelo Anthony like laughing hysterically when somebody asked him, are you going to come off the bench? Yeah. When when he probably should be coming off the bench. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like how are you going to walk that one back, buddy? (laughs) Yeah. What do you think about how OKC has been playing? Cause that's something that everybody had their eyes on this year for sure. I, I mean, I was a big person at the beginning where I was saying they're not going to start strong. Uh-huh. Uh, I was like a firm believer in that, but I was saying like they're going to be strong. Because when you take three players like that who have been basically running their teams for the past however many years, and they're used to being the go-to person, it's, it's going to be hard when you put three of those people together because you're going to have to balance that. And then it's, okay, well, who's going to be running like who's gonna be running these types of plays who's doing like all these different things and they struggled with that at the beginning and people were like oh it's terrible they're terrible together it's not gonna work and I don't think it really has anything to do with 
the whole quote-unquote like ball hog situation, which I think maybe that has something to do with it, but I don't think that's the big problem. I think the problem was just they weren't used to playing with other people like that. So now you put them together and it's going to take some time and they're getting the point now where they're figuring it out and they're getting scary now, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which I think is what a lot of people thought they were going to be right off the bat and they just weren't. Um, But they're starting to get there and they're turning their season around. So, Yeah, lucky for the Blazers who share the Northwest Conference with them. (laughs) (laughs) How do you... Are, do you have any thoughts on um, the Northwest Division um, and how it's been going? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's been interesting because it's been um, – it's a pretty strong division this year. And I guess I should say we're interested in that because we're Blazer fans. So if people who yeah. aren't Blazer fans are listening, like, why are we randomly talking about the Northwest Division? <laughs> it's because we're yeah. from Portland. <laughs> But yeah, I think it's been interesting because they these teams have basically all been jumping around, mm-hmm. and that's as to such a great what, description of what's been happening. They really yeah, are. Like it's yeah. I mean, for a while, the Blazers were the highest in the division, and then all of a sudden it was the Timberwolves, and then it was the Nuggets, and then it went back to the Blazers, and it's been consistently just changing. I don't think any team has held that for number one position for more than like a week or two. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been, they've been all over, and now the Thunder's coming back up, and then now the Jazz are doing better with Donovan Mitchell, and it's so it's like all five teams are pretty close to each other, I feel. Um, I think, like, the Jazz, I think, is a little lower than um, the other four. But overall, like, those, all of them are pretty close. And it's done, I think, for the rest of the season, it's going to be like that, where they're kind of jumping around. Yeah, I did a, uh, I pulled some numbers, uh, probably, it was, it was probably like a month ago, or maybe three weeks ago, where I was looking at the disparity between the top and the bottom in each of the different divisions, just to, you know, drive home the fact of how close things are in the Northwest division. And it was like by far the least amount of space between the, the top and the bottom um, of any of the divisions. I mean, right now, if you look at the Northwest division, the Timberwolves, seem to be getting it together um, and they're 23 and 14 and then the the jazz are now 16 and 21 so they're not as close together as they used to be but in the middle Oklahoma City has 20 wins the Nuggets have 19 wins and the Trailblazers have now 19 wins tonight so like they're they're just neck and neck in the Northwest Division thoughts on the Timberwolves with their new addition of Jimmy Butler yeah, I'm a huge Jimmy Butler fan. Okay. Um, he's also one of my favorite players. So um, I think that that's a really interesting team. I really like watching them play. I think that their biggest problem is that um, they're they're kind of playing at a slow pace. Mm-hmm. So when they're playing teams that are very up-tempo and fast-paced, they're kind of um, falling behind a little bit, and they are struggling with that. But um, – I think that if they kind of get that figured out a little bit, I think that they're definitely a contender um, for at least making it to a couple rounds into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that they're definitely a very strong team. Um, but, I mean, again, like, they're not that. I don't think they're necessarily any stronger than the Blazers or the Nuggets or Thunder. I think they're, I think all four of those teams have – 
similar, like each team kind of has their one big problem. <laughs> and I think it's really just going to come down to who figures it out the fastest. I think, I think you're spot on <laughs> on that. One of the things that I got, I get from watching the Timberwolves this year is Every year, Timberwolves are the team that I'm absolutely terrified of for the Blazers. Mm-hmm. I'm just every year, yeah. I'm just like, oh God, this is the year the Timberwolves are going to fit it all together. And I was really shocked that last year wasn't the year. But I've been watching them, and I'm wondering if Carl Anthony Towns has kind of plateaued. I feel like he's plateaued, and I don't know what or if or how he can get to the next plateau i just Mm -hmm. feel like he should have developed more by now than he did from you know the beginning of last year Mm -hmm. i agree with that um yeah i feel like he definitely should be better now than he is but um i'm not too worried about him i think he still is young i mean he's only 22 yeah (laughs) so (laughs) i think i think people forget like he he looks older, and I think that people, for some reason, like, I mean, I do this too. I think about it. When I think about him, I think of, oh, he's been the lead for five, six years. Like, no. But he yeah. hasn't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was drafted in 2015. Right. So he, he I mean, this is only his He's third got two year, years you know? under his belt, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so I think, um, while, he, yeah, he probably should be a little better now, I don't, I'm not worried about him at all. He's... 22 years old so and he's already like one of the top players in the league so (laughs) good point yeah uh let's see what what other things have we noticed from the beginning of the season that uh to uh, comment on um well i know i've mentioned this before so i won't really talk a lot on it um but one of my big surprises was definitely victor oladipo this Mm -hmm. year um just kind of what he's doing. I mean, he's the right now he's the eighth store in the lead right behind Damian Lillard mm-hmm. actually. Um, but he, yeah, he's shooting crazy. Like he's doing really, really well mm-hmm. this year and it wasn't expected that he was going to do that. Well, everyone said in the Paul George trade, like, Oh, that Paul George, they stole him and all this. And, and while maybe on paper at the beginning, it looked that way, but Victor Oladipo is proving otherwise. Yeah. And now people are saying that Victor Oladipo or the um, the Pacers actually won that trade. That's what people are saying now. So it's kind of interesting to see that flip and then just see how he's really blossomed in that position and, and that leadership position, which he wasn't in before, obviously, with, with Westbrook. Like, if Westbrook's on your team, you're not really going to have the chance to be in a leadership position. So I think that that was the best thing for him. Yeah. I think the, for the Pacers, that trade was something that they could really build on for years. And for Westbrook or for the Oklahoma city thunder, it was like, this is what we need right now. We need to do this Mm -hmm. this year and give it all we have. And I think it was a smart move on Indianapolis on um, Indiana's part because they were doing it for a long term. Mm -hmm. And it is nice to see that. And Sabonis has been playing well too. I re- as I believe. Yeah, yeah. Actually, you know who I think is having a surprisingly good year and I'm really happy for him is Cantor in uh, New York. Mm-hmm. He seems to be really happy there. He seems to fit in really well. And I don't know if just everybody feels better in New York because Phil and Carmelo are gone. Um, 
but I, if, you know, they're playing, they seem to be playing better basketball. They're freed from the triangle. Um, yeah. And, you know, they seem to uh, at least have a rhythm where there's some hope. <laughs> there's some hope there. And, and Ennis Cantor seems to have really thrown himself into being part of the Knicks. And uh, it's always nice when you see somebody who is very closely aligned with one team be able to um, carve out a place for them in a, in a totally different situation. Cause New York city and Oklahoma city, you got to think are worlds apart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Def- I agree with that. Let's see. Anything else you want to mention about uh, things that have happened so far this year? I think one of the interesting things, which we always kind of see tension between obviously the players and refs, um, but I feel like this year it's been a lot worse, mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of the tension. And um, well, there's been not more ejections this year, but kind of similar to the way, um, like I was saying with injuries, where there's not more, it's just happening to more like higher caliber players and players that are talked about more. Mm-hmm. So it's a bigger deal. Like LeBron got ejected this year, first time in his career. KD, we've talked about, has had multiple ejections. I mean, over the course of one week in November, LeBron got ejected. Anthony Davis, who is very quiet and level-headed. You never really see him having any problems. He got ejected. Steph Curry got ejected. And Kevin Durant got ejected twice, all in one week. Mm -hmm. So things like that are happening. I I think that kind of speaks on just the tension between the players and the refs this year. I think that there's just, they're, they've been, I feel like calls have been so inconsistent this season where something, it's like they'll call something that is just so minor and so small and then there'll be just this huge outright obvious foul and they won't even touch it. Right. And then the last two minutes reports come out and they, you know, they describe whether or not the calls were accurate, but you can't do anything based on them. Yeah. I think those reports are kind of ridiculous because it's like, what's the point? I think that that just makes people more angry because it's like, I mean, the one that came out for Christmas Day with the Cavs and Warriors mm-hmm. and they said KD fouled LeBron three times in the past, in the last two minutes mm-hmm. and that was potentially a game-altering call. Like if he, those three calls have been, if those three fouls have been called, the Cavs could have potentially won that game and it's I think that like when they come out and say that I think it's just making them look bad because it's basically them saying like yeah our refs messed up and look at all of these mistakes that our refs are consistently making right and then the refs are kind of left out there to dry (laughs) yeah and it's like I think that they need to they there's something obviously like roughing is very hard but they're it's becoming so inconsistent that I think that like the league needs to step in and do something. Um, I know that they've talked about um, making it so coaches can challenge, like how the the NFL works, mm-hmm. where coaches can challenge plays. They're talking about potentially incorporating that into the NBA, which I think stuff like that, I think that they need to do something. Mm-hmm. And I think that that might be a step that might not work, but I think that at this point, it's like they just need to start trying things because clearly what they're doing right now, it's things aren't going well and it's causing these players like LeBron James and Anthony Davis who never have any issues are suddenly getting ejected. And I think that that speaks on if these players who never have had issues in the past, if they're getting this frustrated with the calls, I think that they need to turn and look and, and see maybe, maybe there is something going on with the refing. 
Yeah, there was an article recently that Adrian Wojnarowski wrote, I believe, uh, where he talked about these things kind of coming to a head. And he talked about how the the refs union talked to the league or the referees league or whatever, talked to the league office and they didn't get the resolution that they wanted to send so Now they're going to go talk to the players union. And that mm-hmm. seems to me like a big flag is going up like, Hey, we're things are going to come to a head. So I think it'll be really interesting to see if there's any changes made in the middle of the season, if they're going to just step up like the points of emphasis memos and just get those out more and just try to get a handle on the consistency that they're, they are not seeing so far this year, or if they're going to be rule changes implemented over the summer, um, you know, as a result of, of what's going on. I think it'll, I think it'll be interesting. I mean, like, like you said, reffing has got to be, so hard. <laughs> um, and like I took a I took a basketball officiating class last year at my school and just for fun and it and it was the most stressful two hours of my week. Like it was yeah. it's so stressful and so I, I understand obviously it's hard, but at the same time it is their job. And <laughs> so I, I think that if every profession that was stressful and difficult, if we gave them passes on messing up, I think that that's still a problem. Um, like obviously roughs make mistakes, but when the mistakes are happening this frequently and it's affecting games as much as it is, I think that something needs to be done. So I'm glad they are. I'm glad that this is kind of becoming a bigger issue now because that it kind of, sometimes it takes things to fall apart for things to things to rebuild and everything. Yeah. I want to know more about your refereeing class. <laughs> was it like to, yeah. was it, you know, to become a referee uh, or like, what was the. Yeah. I mean, by the end, you definitely were not qualified at all to be a ref. Um, but basically it was like, it was once a week for two hours at night and we would just go and like the first couple weeks, um, we just learned the different hand signals and, how to determine what's a foul and like the little kind of nitpicky stuff yeah. that maybe like the general basketball fans don't know. Just um, trying to drill all that we, r- rules into your head so you can know what to do. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. And like the different rules that like a lot of people don't know or they don't know the like the little details of necessarily like what exactly makes a foul, mm-hmm. what qualifies a flagrant foul versus a flagrant two and kind of stuff like that. Um, so we spent a lot of time doing that. And then after a couple of weeks, they started, um, they would have like us play against each other and you would just like, just a couple people at a time would be refing and, or officiating. And, um, you just kind of run like pickup games. And then they started bringing in, um, they would, they brought in like a couple of youth teams one week. And then like the next week they had like the club teams from our school come and um, the varsity players technically for NCAA rules are not allowed to play uh-huh. um, because it's, it's like practice time. Okay. That's so there's only so yeah. many hours to do stuff. And yeah. Be so, outside so they, yeah. Plus we had a couple of people in the, a couple of the people in the class were on the men's or women's uh-huh. teams. Um, but yeah, so they would just have like club players come in and it was just basically like the beginning they would, 
they would say, okay, here's the order that you're refing and go. And then um, they would just play pickup games and we'd ref it. And it was, it was stressful. It was hard. Yeah. It was very hard. And uh, they told, they told the players, like, if you don't agree with a call, like, say something like they told them mm-hmm. like do speak out about it but obviously like be nice about it because we don't we don't know what we're doing um but some of them got like very so into it and it, it's stressful to have a player yelling at you like when you don't really know what you're doing um, and then you start questioning everything so I definitely understand the stress of being a ref but at the same time I was doing it for two hours a week not knowing what I was doing, and these are professionals yeah. doing it from here. So did they talk, I don't feel as bad. Did they talk at all about like what the career path is for a referee? Like, hey, if you're really if you have a talent for this and really good at this and want to do more, this is what you would have to do. Or was it more just focused on like the fundamentals of how to actually do it? Yeah, they talked about it a little bit. Um, basically, you just have to start at the bottom and you just start refing like youth teams, and then you like the more you ref people start recognizing you and they'll start hiring you for higher levels. And then you just basically work your way up. And they were talking about like how much refs make, like refs make a lot of money too. Like I was very surprised by that. I did not realize how much money they make, but that like you could, we had the opportunity to like sign up to um, ref youth games and, um, just for one or you would you would do ref like back to back game so it was an hour and a half of your time and you made 200 dollars. holy moses and that's for like mm-hmm. 10 year olds <laughs> so i'm like so yeah so then you just you start working your way up from there so you can make a lot of money doing it so huh. i thought that was very interesting yeah like refing is just something that i don't really know much about and it's like super vital to the success of the game you know, that mm-hmm. the refing is done correctly, that it's managed efficiently, that, you know, everybody shows up. I mean, I guess that was the other thing about a, a, a different Christmas uh, Christmas game was the one with Houston that w- they were down a ref. They actually had only had yeah. two referee, two officials for that game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then he wasn't he one of them called in sick last minute or something. He had a, yeah. He had bad back and he couldn't do it. Yeah. So yeah they so they only down. had two. But yeah, so so definitely lots of things have already happened before the end of the year. And now we still have several months of basketball left. Do you have any thoughts or predictions about what might happen the rest of the season or things that you that you want to that you uh, want to see happen? Um, I mean, besides the Blazers winning the championship, there's that. That's all. Yeah, that's a given, right? <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, we haven't really talked about the Blazers, so I will, I'll kind of speak on that. I think as far as the Blazers go, I think there needs to be a roster change. Um, I think we definitely we need to get another score in there, another strong score. So I'm hoping that something happens before the trade deadline. I don't really know what. Um, I don't really have anything in mind, but that's my not my job, luckily. So I don't have to worry about making that decision. Um, but I hope that they can do something. And I know that uh, the talk now is whether or not Terry Stotts is going to stick around and if they're going to keep him. And I think they need to make a roster change first. And if that doesn't work, then look at coaching. But I think that, 
I think that Terry Stotts has kind of proved himself. Um, and I think that while, I mean, I definitely have my issues with him, but I don't think he is the number one problem that the team is having right now. So I'm hoping that they make a roster change and that can really help because our defense has been a lot better this year. Now we just need another score. I know it's really a shame because for so many years, we've just been, you know, so anxious to have a good solid defense and we finally have a defense that we can rely on. I mean, it's not the top in the league, but it's in the top half of the league. I mean, in the last two years, we would have never imagined that we were going to be in the top half of the league in defense, much less in the top 10. I don't know if we're still in the top 10, but we've, you know, we've been in that the Blazers have been in the top 10 for a, a good portion of, of the season. And just to be in that position is something that I didn't really think that we were going to see for a while. So he's got to be doing something right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I really thought about, I thought about the Blazers as I was listening, like I was talking earlier about the, to the Dwayne Casey culture change, um, how he was talking about culture change with the Raptors, how we did it with the same personnel. And I was wondering, like, I wonder if that's something that uh, the Blazers could do uh, with, I think you're right. I think there does need, to, I don't, I don't think all the pieces fit just right right now mm-hmm. but i think that uh damian lord is close enough and trusting enough of the coach that if the coaches came up with an idea and said here this is what we think we need to do now i imagine damian would go along with it if it meant that it basically got to keep the core of his guys together um whether mm-hmm. or not you know everybody comes back and you know and then there's also the whole situation of like the Blazers are, I think, $3 million over the cap right now. So the question yeah. is, are they going to do some like smallish type thing to just sort of massage that whole uh, situation so that they can get under the cap or under the, sorry, under the tax line? Or are they going to do something big that's more of a, 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 you know, a splashy personnel move? Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually just looked it up. Portland is currently fourth. In defensive ratings in the lead. Wow, still? So it's it goes Boston. <laughs> it yeah, it goes Boston, Warriors, Spurs, Blazers. Well so I can I can tell the things strong. are different because for the last few years I just remember watching Damian Lillard just drive straight into the gut of whatever power forward the other team put up there. Usually it was Taj Gibson and just Damian Lillard just like yeah. curling and trying to fight through and just smashing right into a wall of uh, power forward. And that's just not, that's just simply not happening this year. They're moving around. They're, they're getting to spots. They're sticking with guys. They're following them all the way through. It's, it's very exciting. And it's, it's disappointing that the, that the offense has, has fallen off, but I, I got to think that they're going to even out at some point. <laughs> yeah. Um. Actually. So the other night um, after the, the Philly game, on Talking Ball, which is on the NBC mm-hmm. Sports Northwest, um, they were the guys on that show were kind of talking about the culture of the Blazers right now, and they brought up a really interesting point, uh, which was basically like I think they think that like uh, Nurkic is a big problem mm-hmm. right now, where he hasn't been playing like he was last year. He's not living up to those standards, and they were saying that what the it looks like the team is lacking just as a whole is like being held accountable mm-hmm. like individually mm-hmm. and i think that that's a good point is you don't see like you see with certain teams 
especially you see LeBron doing this all the time. If someone does something wrong, he'll immediately go up to him and say something. Mm -hmm. He'll call him out on the court. Things are happening like that. People are held accountable instantly. And that doesn't really happen Mm -hmm. with the Blazers. And I think that that's something they, they said that they thought that would really help. And like when they brought that up, that definitely makes sense. And it's just, I feel like the like the energy isn't there mm-hmm. so often because when the energy is there, we play very well. Mm-hmm. It's just it always takes something to get them there. It's like they can't produce that energy on their own. Exactly. And I think that like Dame is really the only person on the team who can consistently create that energy on his own, but he can't win every game for yeah. us so it's like other players have to be able to do that and like where they say like angry nerd right stores he he makes free throws he goes to the line more he all this and it's like well he needs to figure out how to do that without getting his nose broken mm-hmm. like he needs to be able to just do that on his own and that's what and he even has said that but it's like you don't see that effort getting put out there to make that happen it's all al- it's so. almost like they're unaware that they need to find internal motivation, like, like mm-hmm. external motivation is like, you know, you do well, so your team doesn't have to run lines or, you know, whatever it is that you're doing, like in high school and college to learn how to, uh, to motivate. But by the time you make it to the pros, you should have enough internal motivation that every night you step out on the floor, you know, all the reasons that you're in there to play your best. You don't have to wait mm-hmm. until you get popped in the head or you know, yeah. or whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think that that could potentially go back to the coaching too. I think that is something that maybe that is a coaching issue, mm-hmm. which obviously we don't know that because we don't see that side of it as fans. Mm-hmm. But that easily could be something that's like maybe some something is not connecting with the coaching staff when they're not – successfully able to motivate their team so I don't know it's gonna be interesting to watch and Blazers are known for not making bid trades around the trade trade deadline so hopefully that changes this year (laughs) hopefully they they do something yeah that will really help I think it's going to be an interesting trade deadline all across the league because on the Mm -hmm. one hand people are in a much tighter money situation and they're going to I think a lot of teams are going to be looking at uh, needing to actually just take care of the cap situations for themselves rather than Mm -hmm. uh, you know because some some of the teams you know who are playing really well but they're massively over the cap and so any small moves is going to reduce their bills a lot so you've got you know Mm -hmm. Cleveland and the team from the Bay area. And I, I think maybe Oklahoma city is, is way up there. Like they have these really high payrolls that um, they're going to need to be doing a little, little bit of trimming. Every little bit of trimming that they do is going to reduce their, uh, their overall tax burden. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know how much person, you know, how many big personnel moves people are going to make. I'm wondering if it's going to be just a lot of money moves or if there's going to be a lot of big personnel moves considering people are looking at a pretty tight summertime as well but on the other hand we've now become accustomed to just an absolute frenzy at the trade deadline and in free agency so it's almost like they've you know the teams have created this momentum where you know fans and fan bases expect big things to happen at uh at 
trade deadline and during free agency. And if these things don't happen, the the fans are going to be very unhappy and they're going to make life really tough. So I think it'll be interesting to see. I have a feeling that they're the teams are going to figure out even in these more frugal circumstances than they've seen for a while, I think they're still going to figure out how to like really shock people and make some shocking moves. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't wait to see oh, yeah. how they're going to do it because it's going to come from left field. <laughs> yeah, it will definitely be an interesting and just that whole all that whole time period surrounding the all-star game is going to be interesting because the all-star game is just, is going to be very interesting to see just who even makes it. And then the way, the way the new captain situation's working, that's going to be very interesting. And then with all the trades going on, that's just February is going to be an interesting month (laughs) in the NBA. So I'm excited for that. This league just never stops giving. We, <laughs> I, I feel like I've chosen uh, something really great to be a fan of. And mm-hmm. do you agree? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, it's been really fun talking to you, Kendall. It's been a while because uh, you know you were doing yeah. finals and getting through all that school and everything. So congratulations on con- and finishing another term of school. Good yeah. job for you. Um, yeah, let's go ahead and, and wrap it up here. I'm going to remind folks about Blazers Edge Night, which uh, there will be notes in the show notes about how to donate to Blazers Edge Night. It's a night where uh, Blazers Edge uh, readers, contributors, they uh, donate tickets so that kids and chaperones, who a lot of them who've never been to a Blazer game before, can come and fill up the bowl and have a really awesome time watching a Blazer game. It's going to be in February this year. But leading up to that, they still need folks to donate tickets. So you can go and you can purchase tickets and have them donated directly to Blazers Edge Night. They also have a cool um, partnership with, uh, I think, like, hoop swag socks or something like that they have a name like that and if you buy a pair of socks every pair of socks you buy they will donate a ticket to blazers edge night so that's a fun way to do it um so yeah everyone if you have the means please go and donate tickets and i am not sure if they are still taking requests for tickets you can probably find out about that by uh contacting the number that is listed uh in the article to find out if they still have uh, tickets that they can also give away if you know people who might be in Let's see. I'll remind everybody that, again, we have a Twitter feed for Women's Hoops and Talks. It's at Hoops and Talks. So follow us there if you want to get the latest episode as soon as it comes out. Kendall, do you have anything else to add? No, I think we covered everything. Amazing. Well, wonderful. Thanks to all the listeners, and we will uh, talk to you in a couple weeks. Bye.